Hi everyone and welcome to the sixth episode of At Jerry Talks. We are delighted to have with us today Willard Mwemba, who is the head of the Commerce Competition Commission. Willard was before that um, the head of mergers for Commerce. Uh, and so this is um, the perfect person to have for us to discuss Comesa, mergers and competition law, uh, which we will be discussing today. So thank you so much, Willard, for joining us. Thank you so much, Njeri. It's always a pleasure to have me. Uh, much appreciated. So Willard, uh, I've known you for a very long time. We've dealt with each other on several transactions, but I don't know anything about you. I tried to look on the internet and there's very little information. So we normally start with a quick fire round just to let us know about yourself, what you've been doing, etc. So, um, Willard, I know that you've been to Kenya many times. I've met you in Nairobi. You get to travel a lot with your work. What is your favorite um, destination in Eastern and Southern Africa? <laughs> it's a very interesting, uh, very interesting question and uh, quite difficult to pick one particular city because they all have their own uh, unique and peculiar uh, features that excite someone. So it would be very difficult to pick one. But under the circumstances and to attempt to, uh, to answer your question, I would pick Cairo uh, in Egypt. And why okay, might you pick Cairo been... uh, in Egypt? You've never been to Cairo. Never. It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's quite a beautiful place. It's quite a beautiful yeah. place. and. Uh, uh, why do I pick it? It is one city that fascinates me with the fusion of modernity and medieval times. Uh, so you would find uh, uh, that, that, that uh, their ancient uh, uh, features are very well preserved. Uh, so even as they are modernizing, you, it is yeah. a city that can take you uh, thousands of years uh, back in history. And, and you really appreciate that. So other cities are probably that fusion of modernity and medieval times, as I've said, probably is one thing we're missing out be, uh, because uh, the rest of most of the other cities, the focus is just on modernizing, not trying to preserve the historical vid- Our village settings, for example, I'll talk about my country, uh, Zambia. Those village settings that we had, traditional, ancient way of living and what they are slowly erasing them uh, going for modernity and we think that's the best thing to do but it's also important to preserve some some history and know where you're coming from so that fascinates me about egypt i think uh, uh, cairo to be specific thank you for that willard bringing us to the modernization that you're talking about and bringing us to a competition law which is a modern day concept how did you get into competition why competition law what drew you to that um field of law uh, at personal level yes at a personal level okay no at personal level i'd be i'd be very honest with you that it was somehow accidental and by chance so when we were in our final year at, at, at the university of zambia i remember our lecturer came and said i've seen some adverts at, uh, at the zambia competition commission then it was called Zambia. It's called Competition and Consumer Protection Commission now. So it was called Zambia Competition Commission then. So he came and told us that there are some adverts who are just about to 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 graduate then, or just about to write our final exams. So he said there are some adverts I've seen at uh, at the uh, Zambia Competition Commission. Uh, so those who feel like applying, they should apply. 
So then we asked him a question, but we are not yet graduates. We don't even have those certificates and what. So how are they going to pick us? So he says, oh, no, they are also looking for uh, interns. So make your application, take it there. And who knows, you may be uh, picked as an intern. So, yeah, yeah you know, when you're about to, to, to leave school and university, you're excited to get jobs and what. So I did apply uh, as an intern after I finished my, my university, but before the graduation. I was lucky I was picked. I, as I said, I naturally uh, um, developed this affection for competition law. Read a lot even as I was an intern on it and probably made an impact even as an intern. So when, uh, when they advertised for substantive, uh, substantive position of uh, a junior economist at, uh, at the commission then, I pushed in my application and they did not uh, uh, waste time to to pick in me as a substantive junior economist uh, uh, then so I, I would want to believe that probably i'd impress them with what i had done as an intern and that's how i began the journey of competition law to where we are today the rest is history i guess the rest is history because you've done amazingly well you also went to do a master's at king's college on european competition law um and your phd thesis which is online actually um and i had a chance to skim it is on supranational uh, competition authorities um tell me so it seems like a deliberate pattern of understanding and specializing in competition law um what is your is your aim for a supranational african competition regime and then secondly how has the study of european competition law affected your understanding of um, competition law or how it should work for us in Africa? Okay, no, that's, that's a good question. Uh, to start with, uh, if you're looking at the European competition law and competition law in Africa, generally, uh, the principles are the same, okay? Where we differ, I think, is in the application of those principles of competition law in terms of the appreciation and uh, giving the due regard and importance of the impact that the competition law can bring in, in, in our markets. So I would be very uh, frank to tell you that in terms of principles uh, and, and, and the general understanding of competition law, I think we are just exactly the same. We may differ here and there slightly in procedure, which is not unusual. But the difference, substantive difference, is the importance and appreciation we attach to this subject of competition law here uh, compared to them. I think for them, there's this deep understanding and appreciation that the competition law properly implemented and enforced can have a substantial effect on the shaping uh, of the economy of their region here are there, which I think we need to do more here in terms of uh, imparting that understanding and appreciation. You'll find that uh, even at national level, generally in most of our member states, competition law is not so much of a priority even by, uh, by by the policymakers in government, sometimes it's given a little piece of the of the of the national cake, signifying how they do not attach much importance to that subject yeah. as they yeah. would attach to uh, other similar important subjects. Yes, so I think that's the main difference I would have uh, I would have seen between competition law in Europe and uh, competition law uh, uh, in Africa, not just Africa, less developed countries generally. Okay. Let's talk about um, then the, the second question I wanted to ask, which is on supranational competition regimes and authorities. Do you think that's the way forward for Africa? Is that what you would you would like to see? Uh, absolutely. Uh, that is the way forward for Africa. And the answer is very simple. 
you agree with me injury that um, and, and and nothing i'm not against any undertakings but it is a fact that anti-competitive practices are, are there in the market so you agree with me that uh, where we have fragmented laws at national level there is a possibility that uh, this certain conduct by undertakings may be lawful in individual member states but cumulatively may be unlawful so it becomes easy for undertakings sometimes to evade the law as a result of those fragmented and coordinated and incoherent approaches to competition okay. law enforcement. Yeah, so when we Understood. have these supra-national uh, competition authorities, it does help. So uh, in terms of the, 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 the supra-national competition authority at continental level, I think that is something that would be good. What we should be discussing are the modalities under which it would be implemented, whether it would be the actual enforcement um, modality or it would be uh, some kind of cooperation amongst the, the competition authorities at regional level in Africa, including those of, of national competition authorities. That one may be discussed at a later stage uh, uh, in, uh, when we are implementing the actual authority. But uh, what we may state here is that indeed it would be important to have such a body to, um, uh, to, to superintend competition law enforcement in Africa. Yeah. The downturn to that also uh, is that we may want to be very careful not to defeat the very same uh, uh, objective that we have in mind to create these supranational competition authorities. So you find that now regions, have, uh, we have the EAC, we have COMESA, we have SADIC, we, we, we have ECOAS, we have uh, yeah. SEMAC, and then there's a lot of overlapping membership, especially if you look at SADIC, EAC, and COMESA. Almost all the partner states of EAC, with the exception of Tanzania and, 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 and South Sudan, I think, the rest of them are, are, are members of COMESA. So what happens now, are we not going back to the same challenge we are trying to, for example, in terms of uh, uh, reducing the burden on uh, uh, the undertakings uh, conducting business in Comesa or in these regions, are we not then still adding on to the burden because if a transaction affects EAC and it also affects Comesa, are we not saying currently under the framework that they will still need to notify the EAC and notify Comesa? So those are some of the things, even as we are yes. creating these regional authorities yes. that we should be having in mind. Completely understood on that, Willard, and I agree with you. And because we're going to be focusing on mergers for this discussion, I wanted us to focus on the, the point that you made about European competition and law and the principles applying to being the same or applying to us in Africa as well. Given that, um, you know, Europe is so developed and the African continent is in general, do you think we should still apply the same principles to uh, a developing nation rather than uh, the European nations which are already developed? Uh, uh, well, personally, I, I, I think yes, uh, because those principles are very general. The specifics of how we apply them is where we may differ. So, for example, there are principles of thresholds. Should we apply the thresholds exactly as they as they apply in Europe? The, 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 the definite answer is no. The European economy and is, is by far bigger than ours. So just getting those thresholds and implementing them here in their format would not apply. But the reasoning behind having thresholds, though that principle, we can apply it here and adapt it 
to our own peculiar situations. So in terms of the general principles in Jerry, uh, uh, my, my general answer, subject to few exemptions, my general answer is that yes, they should apply, but what should differ is the way we apply them. So we should adapt, adopt, adopt and adapt them to our situation, yes. Okay, cool. So that answers my first question. And then secondly, we've now touched on um, the <laughs> difference between regional regional bodies and then, um, you know, overarching bodies and the competing interests that they have. So correct, EAC, COMESA, national um, bodies themselves or local bodies, um, CMAC, um, and then GSADEC, etc. Many people do not understand how these interlink, why they should apply to um, each uh, body separately, and what is the arrangement arrangements that you have between the local, national, and then even um, overarching bodies to ensure that everyone's interests are covered. Is that still something that you're grappling with? Uh, between regional bodies, uh, frankly, yes. Uh, between regional bodies, so for example, COMES and the EAC, yes. And I'll give an answer, uh, the reason for that. Uh, between us, Comesa and the national competition authorities in Comesa, no. Uh, I think that is something that we've worked uh, we've worked on quite perfectly. And yeah. uh, you, are, you, you are from Kenya, Jerry, so you you will recall the issues with Kenya. And I think we'll discuss that later as as, as I expound on this. But yes. coming back to re- between regional bodies, so for example, EAC and Comesa, that is something uh, in the current state that brings concern that by virtue of their law and by virtue of our laws, and as long as these laws remain the same then they will have jurisdiction on transactions that affect the EAC, even if they overlap with yes. those transactions uh, uh, affecting Comesa, because that's what their law states. That's yeah. what our law states. So mm-hmm. we shouldn't only, as competition authorities, be looking at businesses complying with the laws, businesses not being engaged in anti-competitive practices. The very same way we want to clean the market from anti-competitive uh, 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 practices by businesses should be the very same way we should be in the forefront to create an environment that reduces uh, the burden on the businesses to comply with our laws, the cost of compliance and everything. I'll be very quick to tell you that, of course, ESC authority is in its nascent stages and we are we, we are discussing those issues okay, uh okay. trying to see how we can go around our legal frameworks but to address that concern okay good when we do the podcast it's really for people to, to gain an understanding and for collaboration to be able to occur what is a major and tell us why a major is important in the context of businesses in africa and commerce specifically so a major in simple terms is simply the coming together of two or more undertakings that previously were operating independently, that previously were making decisions independently, that previously were mindful of the decisions, the commercial decisions being made by the other on the market and to adjust themselves to ensure that those decisions do not uh, impact on them negatively to exit the market. And that's what competition is. But once those undertakings that were behaving like that before this uh, creature we call a major come together and they are no longer mindful of those independent commercial decisions by the other, then a major would have uh, would have been established in simple terms. Okay. So you've explained that it's a combination of two uh, parties who have been aware of each other in the market. Good. 
Um, but there are several criteria for determining when a merger has occurred, and I want us to go into that so that we can tell the, the public what it is that they should be mindful of uh, in the context of an application for um, or a notification for clearance for their mergers. What is that, uh, Willard? So the first thing to look at is the basics that we've already talked about. So once you, 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 you come to an understanding that those basics of bringing two or more firms that were independent uh, previously is a major. The next thing you ask yourself is, is it a major within the context of the commercial competition regulations? So you would have first of all to establish whether the, those parties uh, or those undertakings to a major have operations in two or more member states. So if they do not operate in two or more member states, then that transaction does not qualify to be a major within the context of commercial competition regulations. But where it is clear and established that the parties to the transaction operate in two or more member states, then you begin to have an understanding that this is a transaction that may require the commercial notification. But it okay. doesn't end there. Yeah. So once you, you, you say, well, we, 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 we can clearly establish that we operate in Kenya, Zambia, Malawi, uh, uh, and Egypt, for example. So clearly we operate in a number of commercial member states. That should give you an indication that it may be a transaction I need to take to the commission uh, for notification. Because if I don't do that, maybe I may be fined for not complying with the regulations. But it doesn't end there, Anjari. Uh, so we, uh, even when you're saying we, we I, I, I heard you, you hinted that people are complaining that we hinder business and uh, we are anti-competitive ourselves. Uh, not necessarily. Uh, in fact, not necessarily. Completely, uh, that is not true. Why? Because even certain transactions like that, that become majors that operate in two or more member states, are not notifiable automatically at that stage of taking out the, the criteria that uh, we look at. So the next thing would be to look at whether you've met what we call the major notification thresholds. And the reason we came up with thresholds is to ensure that small insignificant transactions that are not likely to raise competition concerns are not looked at by ourselves. So we can tell them, please go free, go and do whatever you want. We think your issues will not raise competition concerns. So we let them off the hook. So it's something that, Njeri, uh, you should be commending the commission for uh, <laughs> instead of castigating us. So anyway, <laughs> so, so what we we'll do then, even after it's established that the parties operate in two or more member states, we need now to establish where they, whether they meet the, uh, the quantitative thresholds. So the combination of turnover or asset, uh, assets of those parties or uh, whichever will be higher should not be below 50 million US dollars in the common market. So it should be 50 million dollars or more. So if the combination of their turnover and assets in the common market is less than 50 million US dollars, which pretty is quite a lot of uh, say high figure it's quite and, high, and, and yeah. value. Yeah, looking at uh, looking at our economies again, our, our economy, yes. Comesa wide, the whole GDP of Comesa is smaller than the GDP of Belgium. Uh, Belgium is one of the smallest economies in Europe. So you, you understand okay. the, the, the size of the economies we're talking about. So 50 million is quite a lot. 
but then it doesn't end there once you meet the 50 million we're saying well it may be the case that you've met the 50 million but the transaction may still not raise concern with us we would now want to look at the individual parties to that transaction what significance will the mating of these two or three companies bring to the common market in terms of anti-competitive concerns so if it is the case that it should be the case that at least two of each of the parties to that transaction should not derive less than 10 million so if it is found that one of them derives less than 10 million turnover or assets in the common market, then even if they, com uh, in combination, they derive 250 million, 1 billion US dollars in the common market, that is a transaction we we'll consider to be insignificant and we'll still tell the parties, okay, please, uh, you've made the 50 million, you have 1 billion turnover combined in Comesa, but this transaction is still insignificant. And then it doesn't end there because we are so generous in the We are so generous <laughs> and so practical. We just want to look at transactions that are significant uh, uh, in Comesa. We would say, well, we've seen we've met the 50 million combined uh, th threshold uh, requirement. You've met the 10 million individual uh, uh, threshold requirement. But if it is the case that uh, the parties to that transaction or the parties to that transaction, they each derive more than two-thirds of their assets or turnover, whichever is higher, in one and the same member state. So, for example, uh, it is a major between DHL and uh, which is that other Korea company? I've forgotten it. There's DHL, which is the other one? Uh, FedEx. You so I had FedEx in my mind. Yeah. So there's, uh, there's a major between DHL and FedEx. But when we do our computations of their turnover and assets, we, we, we come to the conclusion that even if they are in all member states, more than 66% of their turnover, both of them, is just in Kenya. We conclude that that transaction will raise significant competition concerns in Kenya, not in the common market. So we will tell them this transaction is not notifiable, but you may wish to get in touch with the Kenyan Competition Authority uh, in case they, they, they would be of the view that the transaction should be reviewed there. So uh, in a nutshell, Jerry, the criteria we've just uh, laid down here is once it is met what will uh, conclude or establish that there is a major transaction to be notified with the commercial competition commission yeah thank you so much for that explanation Willard. and i think it's it's a very useful one for all of the listeners you recently clarified what operating in two or more member states means um and i think there's been a lot of Yes, misunderstanding. What does that mean? So even on that one, I'll try to break it down in very, very simple terms as well so that um, uh, none of us is lost. Okay? Mm -hmm. And I'll start by breaking down what we mean by operate. So what we mean by operate is that this particular undertaking or undertakings should derive some turnover in the common market. Okay, so by deriving turnover, it may be by virtue of sales, direct sales into the common market, exports into the common markets that give revenue to this company that is not domiciled in the common market. Okay, so okay. Uh, if, we are, if we are on the same page on that one, then I'll now move on to operate under the guidelines as it was put. I think it is section 3.9 of the guidelines, if I'm, uh, guidelines, if I'm not mistaken. threshold of uh, $5 million. Exactly. So between you and I, we will agree that by implication, 
that was a threshold but because it was a threshold that was benefiting you lawyers you found no reason <laughs> to say the commission is breaking the law this is a threshold and the threshold is zero so because it benefited everyone everyone was quiet but uh, that is a subject for another day so <laughs> we did not call it a threshold uh for obvious reasons uh, uh that we were going to be uh out traverse the law but we defined the word operate to mean five million in the common market so the guidelines injury as you've uh, read our com- uh, our commercial competition law and like in kenya for example where guidelines would have some binding yes Mesa, the guidelines are not binding. They just give us some direction on how we address certain matters. So we needed to still put our house in order. In March 2015, the section 3.9 of the guideline became now and void. Mm -hmm. What motivated the practice not is that we had a lot of questions in relation to the thresholds uh, over and over and we gave answers to individual questions uh, as as such and these these questions were not dying so we okay. realized that we needed to adopt a certain approach that will broadcast the message widely to everyone once and for all okay um i think you've pointed out at the moment the rules and the regulations and the guidelines are in very separate documents um, is there any plan to amalgamate it into one consolidated version so that everyone is on the same page? The guidelines, I guess, can remain because they're non-binding, but the, certainly the rules and the regulations, do they need to be separate? I believe so. They need they, 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 they need to be separate from a substantive point of view, from uh, an approach or presentation point of view. Uh, they can be in the same book. And I think that's what we've done that actually uh not long ago but from a substantive point of view they need to remain separate why because the rules actually simply give effect to the regulations so it may be uh, I, I, kenya is a is a common law common law country right right yes yes correct mm-hmm. yes yes so, so in most common law countries the, the equivalent of the regulations would be what you call the act Yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. The equivalent of the rules may what we call the regulations at, uh, at national level in common law countries at least. So the yeah. regulations uh, in Kenya, for example, simply give effect to the, regu- uh, to the act. Effect in terms of operationalizing them. Yes. What, what, is in t- what is operate? So the rules will now explain what operate means. Uh, things like that. So the act which is the regulations in our in our case will define certain terms and address certain issues broadly the re, the rules which are your regulations in your case will then give effect and guidance on how you operate the the regulations or the act in your case so in my view they should remain separate and uh, it also just tries to bring in consistency and certainty in that the parties yourselves will have a common understanding with us that does not stop you from challenging us when you feel like this is not how the rules and the regulations should be interpreted so you have all the rights to challenge the guidelines actually one of the things that uh, the com- the authority can be congratulated on is always being very, very responsive. So I, I can commend you on that. Don't, Thank you don't so much for those a- warm words. 
don't take it as a criticism what i think it is is that a lot of us are grappling with the the the, the fact that making a competition a commercial competition application is not a simple task it requires a lot of information mm-hmm. and it's expensive so let's talk about let's talk about the criticisms of um, the the authority. Let's talk about the fees. A lot of people are you know when they see that the, the fees is two hundred thousand, the transaction it, 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 the legal fees are also two hundred thousand. How are they ever going to pull off the the merger? It's an interesting question, Injeri, because we'll start by uh, helping the parties by reducing the legal fees from two hundred thousand even before we reduce uh, the the notification fee. So Njeri and your colleagues in the legal field should help your the clients by reducing the legal fees that you charge them. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Now, um, coming to the 200,000, you see initially the, 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 the major notification fees were at 500,000 Njeri. Yes. And uh, you will recall that uh, it was at that time that I'd become so famous, probably even more famous than Brad Pitt. I think my (laughs) name was all over because of the fact, not for good reasons, by the way, because of the 500, 500, 500, because I was the one picking up all those calls and justifying that this is what the law says and uh, the law is the law. I was so adamant. The law is the law. and So I was very famous for very... um, uh, infamous reasons so <laughs> yeah but uh, so just to give it context the 500,000 indeed we listened to the cries of the of, of the public and we agreed uh, uh, in course that it was high but look even as uh, we were reducing we, we we had to do some work and made some comparisons Okay, I have uh, that work even now. It should be public work now because we've already uh, moved past that. I can share with you to just show you permutations we were making. We looked at the 500,000 that uh, parties were paying here, okay, Mm -hmm. and looked at the notification fees they would have paid at national level if the commercial competition regulations were not uh, in force. So when we looked at that injury, we came to the conclusion that, look, Parties are still a little bit, of course, it's case by case in certain circumstances, no? But generally, they were a little bit uh, more better with their commercial application at 500,000 US dollars than attempting to go to each of the individual member states and make individual applications. And in our work, we still compared not just in Africa. We went to Italy, we went to Britain, we went to the United States of America and looked at some of their notification fees. Uh, Willard, we are not in Europe. We are not in Europe. Why wasn't a, a, an approach favoured where it's based on the turnover of the companies rather than um, a blanket uh, fee? And also, it could be by industry. You know, there are some industries that are, that are on the up and up. Mining and etc. is much more developed. There are different approaches to how the fees could be paid, isn't it? No, no, no you are right. And uh, on that one, I will not dis- I, 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 I will not disagree with you when you say no, but we are not in Europe. Absolutely. But we needed to, to make some comparisons for us to come up with some figure that is meaningful. Okay. So mm-hmm. we ended up anyway reducing it to $200,000, which was uh, more than 60% reduction from what it was. I think we should be commended for that. But I, I still see that there, <laughs> there are still concerns that even the 200,000 is high. Probably at the right time, uh, such figures may be revised as well. Uh, but just to say that from 500 to 200, sorry? 
I have your commitment on the reduction. Excellent. <laughs> we'll see about that injury. Actually, the blanket fee injury would have been to your disadvantage to tell you the truth. Because mm-hmm. this filing fee, the one based on turnover, is a relative fee. It depends on how much turnover you derive. So the lower the turnover, the lower the fee. The higher mm-hmm. the turnover, the higher the fee. So when you talk about mine, for example, those guys who have a lot more money, it is almost always the case that they will pay the maximum. When you talk about startups uh, and, and those companies that whose turnovers is very minimal, usually they may not even notify their transaction to the commission because we are saying the notification fee is 0.1% of your turnover or assets, whichever is higher. And if your turnover or asset, mm-hmm. whichever is higher, is less than 50 million in the common market, your transaction may not even be notified. So it does then mean that in any circumstance, the minimum the commission may charge is 50,000 US dollars minimum. If if you cannot meet the 50,000 US dollars notification fee, it means your transaction is not even notifiable in the first okay, place. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. the turnover one based on the relative amount actually takes into account those concerns that the smaller the company, the lesser the fees it pays, probably it may not even need to be notified in the first place. If it was blanket, it would have been detrimental to smaller companies, probably advantageous to the bigger companies. Understood, understood. Um, and thank you for that clarification. Bella. But I'm glad- I hope you will not slap me by saying then we'll consider you to be too small for us. <laughs> no, 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 no. Actually, what I was going to say is I'm glad I've got your assurance that you're going to consider lowering the fees. So that's good for me. The other thing that we that I wanted to to, ta- to touch on is the criticism that, you know, sometimes when you're making the decisions, you're very reliant on what the local regulator's view is and not enough on independent assessment of the claim or, or the pl- application yourself. What do you say to that, Willard? It's not correct. It's, it's, it's not true. Far from the truth. Our interaction with the national competition authorities is consultative, okay? And uh, what they submit to us are their views on the transaction. What informs the final decision is ours. So we may agree with their views based on our own assessments, or we may disagree with them. So I'll tell you that there have been instances where competition authorities have submitted concerns to us and, uh, and requested that that should be the decision. And we've rejected. I would call it an intelligence gathering approach. Even those who work in the government uh, intelligence uh, divisions mm-hmm. in Zeri, that's the approach yeah. they use. Sometimes uh, don't fear so much. They plant, don't be scared. They would plant one of theirs uh, in your institution and you never know that is an intelligent uh, intelligence true. official. So it, it's the same process even with us. So it is okay. just for information gathering, intelligence gathering, but we do make uh, and, and undertake our own assessment. Okay, let's talk about then the people who don't make uh, notifications and what you've done about enforcement. At the moment, is there really, first of all, is there, are there penalties for not applying? Have you sanctioned people for not doing that? And is that in the public? Also, if in terms of the conditions that you put for mergers, what have you done about making sure that the mergers uh, conditions are adhered to? Because we get the, the approval, we have conditions, we have compliance requirements, what actually happens if you don't comply or if you don't make an application? Thank you, Jerry. So uh, on the first question, when you say what happens if you've not notified the transaction to the to the commission, is that a question? 
Yes, but I don't. I don't mean in accordance with the regulations. I mean practically speaking, because I don't think people necessarily understand that there are ramifications for this, or that you can come after them, or that you have come after parties who have not notified. Okay, so that's a good question. Uh, frankly, I'm not aware of a party that has engaged in a major and they've not just notified it with the commission. Uh, I'm not aware of that yet. It may be there in the market, but it's not something that we are aware of. If we became aware, uh, there would be a hefty fine of maximum. I can even, I hope a lot of people are listening to me. That one, I can assure them that the <laughs> maximum would be 10% of their annual turnover in the common market because it would have been a blunt and disregard of what the law says. So we've never come across that situation yet. The situation we've come across probably is on the submission of the notification beyond the 30 days of making a decision that the regulations talk about. So that one we've come across, people have come and notified a transaction whose decision to make took place way before, way long before the, is it after or long? After the expiration of the 30 days, which should yeah. be, uh, which is punishable as well. Uh, but the answer to that is that we've not yet punished anyone. Uh, we've cautioned people. So in the decision, we've cautioned. Remember, punishing is not, the law says a maximum of 10%. So yeah. it can be 9%, it can be 1%, it can even be a caution. Okay? Yeah. So we've, we've given cautionary notes in the past to those who've done that. And of course, they've tried to give an explanation of why that happened. That said, injury, as long as the law remains in its current form, uh, we are changing our approach. Uh, number one, that we will be fining the period of making a notification. So even where they would have notified, if they did not make it within the time allowed for by the regulations, we will be finding now that is the approach. But then we also made it easy for the parties to comply with that 30-day period by stating that, look, in our guideline, uh, we, we refer to complete and incomplete notifications. So if you can't manage to complete your notification within 30 days, at least engage us, at least talk about the transaction with us, at least send an email and state in this process, we'll be sending in the notification soon. Because that process, if we read it together with our guidelines, would have taken it to be the beginning of the yeah which yeah. is subject to completion at a reasonable time thereafter. Yeah, you did um, specify and, and state that, uh, I think in, in some notice that I saw uh, in regard to dealing with the COVID pandemic and amending the timelines accordingly. So that was welcome. Um, what are the measures? That, another criticism, you know, I'm not, I'm, this, I'm just, uh, I have the opportunity, so I need to take it, is that you have not done more apart from the timelines to deal with parties in, in, in competition uh, or emerges during this pandemic given that the pandemic is still ongoing uh, a year later what are you what are your plans um okay no uh, you are free to to bring all those criticisms and read so we don't shoot the messenger no so the messenger is just telling <laughs> us what is happening there. what is happening there so uh, that is in order but i would just want to understand you a little bit more uh, what 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 would be in the minds of the of our stakeholders our clients uh, what, what what is it that they would love us to see uh, and why i say this is that um, we cannot really convince and compel the emerging parties in what form the major should, should should take 
as a result of the pandemic or even encouraging them to engage in measures so that they evade the effects of the pandemic by coming together so that would be uh, completely be the part to the party's discretion uh, to do that what we can do is to uh, try to relax the approach uh, to major regulations as we've done in that practice not for example relaxing the time period and also where they submit incorrect incomplete not incorrect incomplete information we've also uh, uh, now undertaken a relaxed approach in that we'll get back to them and tell them to submit complete information as long as it was not negligently uh, done so instead of fining them for submission of incomplete information which is punishable as well we've tried to relax that in the covid period because we know the the challenges that uh, parties including ourselves are facing in gathering information so uh, our view in jury was that we could only help the parties to the extent permissible within the law uh, we can we can interpret the law expansively relax certain procedures but in terms of um, so i'm not so sure that's why i'm asking what, what would be in the like minds of the parties could low, you could you could reduce or uh, cancel the fees for an application <laughs> for example um there's other things that you could do for example boosting certain industries um and relaxing the the requirement to notify in those industries and catch up later after covid um, so, for example, pharmaceuticals, transportation, um, uh, just maybe easing of restrictions during the COVID pandemic to encourage uh, parties to work together um, so that we can beat it together. No, that is uh, that is very true. Uh, you, you bring another important aspect, which, are, which, are, which I'll, disc uh, I'll address soon, but that is very pertinent. In terms of reducing the, or scrapping the fee injury, my answer would be as it was in 2013 and 2014 for now the law is the law and anything uh, done contrary to that would mean the commission itself is breaking the law so a little bit unfortunate on that but i think you've moved a little bit beyond measures when you say can competition authorities allow uh, undertakings to work together somehow uh, in this pandemic period uh, which may be to the advantage of all of us as uh, as human beings uh, who have been ravaged by this uh, strange animal called COVID. Yes, uh, that is acceptable. And it's not just here in Comesa. It's, uh, it is, uh, I've seen similar approaches even in Europe. I know you would want to say Europe is a different market, but <laughs> we, 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 we yeah. see those things. Here in Comesa, actually, it's not just at the Comesa Competition uh, Commission. There is even some kind of uh, procedures and and um, I, I don't want to call them rules because we confuse them with the binding rules. But there are kind of procedures and operations manuals at the Comesa Secretariat uh, where those things have been addressed, where companies are encouraged to come together and see how they can uh, uh, enhance their efficiencies to deliver certain goods and services during this pandemic. That said, companies should still be very cautious not to dwell and delve into those issues that may be blatant competition law violations in the name of COVID. Fixing prices, there's nothing that would come, would come out that would be good out of fixing prices. Market allocation, you just take Kenya or never come to Zambia, let's not compete. There is nothing good that will ever come out of that. So to avoid that injury, what the companies can do, because there they, they, they will be and there is a lot of uncertainty then to say 
we've been allowed to work together but what is it that we can do together that will not find us uh, yeah in, what will not put us in problems what they can do is to approach the commission either through comfort letters if it is through majors or through applications for authorizations and exemptions under article 20 if it is uh, as, uh, if it is through other agreements and then we'll be able to guide okay or even um, just having a chat we always are not formal here in jerry even just having a chat as we are having we will still guide them yeah and uh, and you know that's one of the things i keep saying i keep saying anyone who knows you or knows the you guys are very approachable and always willing to, to listen and even very responsive on email. So uh, very much appreciated, Willard. Now that you're the head of the CCC and not just in mergers, what are your plans, Willard, looking to the future? And w- will, will we miss you in the in the merger space? Or will you still be very active? Um, I, I, yeah, I find that question to be interesting. Very interesting. First of all, it is uh, it, it's it's humbling to me, uh, really, uh, and wholeheartedly to see that I've been of uh, great service and contribution to the clients there from all the feedback that uh, uh, you guys have given me, from all the support indeed that you guys have given me. So that is very humbling to see that uh, uh, somehow people may miss you, okay? If uh, you disappear and no one misses you, I think it's a little bit disheartening. So (laughs) so, so, so it's quite humbling. Yeah, as I stated earlier, I developed this affection for competition law uh, quite uh, quite early in my life at a tender age and I've loved competition law I've lived competition law I've breathed competition law so the problem of getting to a higher position as you've put it you begin to get divorced from the substance to more of administration so it is something that is uh, unfortunate if you look at it from that angle however it will not be unusual and strange in Jerry to find that I am actually the one uh, reviewing a certain case that I would feel I would be intellectually stimulated to review. So it may not be a complete goodbye. It may be the case that one of your transactions, I would just choose to review it myself and you deal with me directly. So it's not a complete goodbye, no? Yeah. Thank you so much, Willard. I wish you all the best in, you know, the supranational regional body, which I'm sure you will be heading in less than five years time uh, when we think Thanks about it. Thanks for the it. blessings. <laughs> and thank you very much for your time, Willard. It's been amazing for us to, to listen to you and also to engage on very difficult topics, which um, people need clarity on. Um, so thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Injury. Always a pleasure at the commission here we have a motto that we are available 24-7 uh, whenever you need some clarification unless uh, the, the, the tone on the, my emails on the phone does not ring I'm, I'm sleeping then I'll fail to pick it <laughs> but as long as I see it even at 1am would respond uh, and so that please, is the truth I feel yeah. it myself <laughs> exactly exactly so uh, let's continue interacting thank you so much for having us thank you so much everyone it's been dr willard Mwemba, head of the ccc now uh leaving mergers and um effectively the head of the commercial competition uh, commission thanks for listening to us and see you next month